Welcome to Law in the Family, a production of the Pennsylvania Bar Association Family Law Section, providing insights for lawyers about the practice of family law in Pennsylvania. The information shared during this podcast is for general information purposes only. Nothing in this podcast should be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. This information is not intended to create, and receipt or listening does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and the podcast guests, and don't necessarily represent those of the Pennsylvania Bar Association. Hello and welcome to Law and the Family. I'm your host, Aaron Weems, and with me is Anthony Hoover. Today we're speaking with Mark Ashton. Mark Ashton is a partner at Fox Rothschild and one of my colleagues. And Mark is a well-established family law practitioner who, if you have done any work in the state, you have probably come across his name either through a seminar, case against him, through his extensive writings on Pennsylvania Family Law blog, through Fox Rothschild. But he is, without a doubt, one of the authorities of all the issues that we come across. He takes the time to look into them, and we are excited to have him today because he recently did a blog post on a very interesting Northampton PFA case in which the defendant was sentenced to 10 and a half years in prison for contempts of the PFA. And to start with, Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And thank you for that blog post, because I think it brought to light a really interesting issue, which is that PFAs, we do them in this work frequently, but I don't know that we always appreciate the gravity that they can create beyond just the finding of abuse and sort of that indirect criminal issue. Why don't you talk a little bit about the the Seagraves case and what you view as being really some of the issues that it it has brought to light relative to PFAs and some of the other concerns that people may have regarding those actions. Sure. This is, as we all know, PFAs are, by definition, a civil action, and they're governed under Section or Title 23 of of the Divorce Code, or actually the the Family Law Statute. But they do have, as you just alluded to, Aaron, a criminal law element, which is that if you violate the protection from abuse order, either on a temporary basis or a permanent order, you are liable to being charged for indirect criminal contempt. And what happened in the Seagraves case, which is out of Northampton County, and was affirmed by the Superior Court in a three-judge non-precedential ruling, but they are now citable under the current uh, regime, was you had a person who was told to stay away from a spouse and did not do so and continued to harass her and was then sentenced to incarceration and continued to harass her by written communication and otherwise, even after he was incarcerated. So needless to say, you have a gentleman here who is causing a lot of problems for a common police court judge and for his former spouse. And we're in a situation here where basically what happens is the judge decides that there are 46 incidents and they're in writing. So this is pretty easy to prove. There are 46 incidents where this gentleman has violated the terms of the protection for abuse order that was prevailing. And the judge decided to give him a six-month sentence on each of those 46 incidents, the result of which is more than 10 years in jail. This is something that arithmetically, you knew it was possible to have it happen. I don't think any of us would have anticipated that there would ever be a sentence of this duration and to see that sentence actually affirmed by the Superior Court. So I'm suggesting to you here that this sort of, to my mind, sheds a whole new light on how we approach PFA cases, because people are coming out of this pandemic and out of the economic situations that we're having today with a high level of frustration, and some of them are not behaving well in court. You just need to watch the court TV videos 
to see people acting out. And they're acting out at home, too, and they're acting out in the context of their relationships, both present and former. So Seagraves, to me, sort of signals to me that we need to look at this as family lawyers a little bit differently because people come in and they hire us and they go, okay, I'm getting separated or divorced. And as a result, you know, I'm hiring either Aaron Weems or Anthony Hoover to represent me. And this is just, you know, when a PFA is filed, if it doesn't involve an initial arrest, a lot of times as a client, I turn to my lawyer and go, we're going to the mat on this. We're going to fight this because what my spouse has said about me or my intimate partner has said about me is flatly false. And I want to prove it in the courtroom and bring them to their knees. And as family lawyers, we're kind of used to doing that every day in a divorce setting or in a custody or support setting. That's part of our job. The difficulty here is we have criminal implications and those criminal implications, as we learned from Seagraves, can be rather drastic. And Mark, when you say criminal implications, the a, a PFA proceeding is civil, but the violation of the protection from abuse order, that violation, that that is the criminal conduct, right? Correct. And that's going to be prosecuted. Many lawyers in our field don't realize this. That suddenly goes from being a civil matter to the district attorney's office. And I have defended those kinds of cases. I don't think I would be doing that today but I've defended those kind of cases, and now you're up against the DA. And you're also in, in the process of creating a criminal record. Most counties don't publish what PFA information is available. They keep those dockets private. But on the other hand, once you are arrested and charged with a, a crime, now that's going to go onto the statewide website so anybody, including your future and present employers, can have access to it. And also to that point is that these things don't, the criminal and the, and the PFA don't always occur in harmony with each other. You might have someone that brings a PFA and the criminal charge may not actually arise until later. And I think to your point about people want to go in there and defend against this baseless PFA. Well, they're going on the stand. They're creating a record. There's nothing that says that the district attorney's office can't take that record and then decide that they may charge after it. In many situations, an angry judge may also say, I'm going to order a copy of this transcript and I'm going to turn it over to the district attorney's office because I do think there's criminal conduct here. At least where Aaron and I practice, we have high volumes of PFA cases, particularly after Philadelphia sports teams lose. And that's a pretty common event. So you have a high volume of cases. A lot of them, about 50% of the statistics indicate are either non-pros, which is to say they're not prosecuted at all, or they're withdrawn at the time that the hearing is called for. The other 50% are disposed of. And if you're demanding a trial, then that means that if your spouse or intimate partner says you did X, then you're going to have to take the witness stand and say you didn't or that you did Y. And when you do that, you realize that you don't have, you are now waiving the privilege uh, against self-incrimination. And everything you have, as uh, uh, Joe Friday said in my childhood, when I watched Dragnet, Everything I can and uh, say will be held against me. And a lot of times anyway, civil lawyers, and that's what family lawyers are, we tend to not focus on that problem. And just really going down that road of, you know, civil family lawyers focusing on what's in front of us, which are the protection from abuse cases. There are other implications too. you know, criminal context. Yes, the Seagraves case certainly points that out. But just other context, I think we'd all agree here. And I think it's certainly domestic violence and the challenges it plays in our legal system and society in general. I think particularly in the pandemic, there's been a greater light shed. 
And what we know and don't know is certainly a challenge. But in that light, I believe it's spilling over into other areas of law where, for example, employers, you know, I'm not an employment attorney, but I can imagine that they could at least inquire in certain positions if there are PFA orders. I would be concerned if I take you a step further, Anthony, I would be concerned that if you're an HR specialist and you don't inquire, you may be creating a problem. You have people out there, for example, medical practices. Your general counsel or you are the employment law counsel for a medical practice in Pennsylvania. You're in a situation where for whatever reason you become aware of the fact that one of your physicians or nurses or are someone who has direct contact with the public is operating in a setting where they have either been arrested or they have been charged and been found to be subject to a protection from abuse order. The question now is put your general counsel's hat on. You have a person who is working under the aegis of your business who has been found to be involved in domestic violence. First of all, what are the public relations implications of this? Number one. Number two, if this person wigs out on your premises and strikes a patient or strikes a fellow employee, what is your liability in this situation? And do you want to even bother risking with that liability? So I've had several cases on behalf of physicians where basically I said, you can't fight this. If you fight this and we create a record, you could be in a situation where if I were general counsel of the company that's your employer or the practice that's your employer, I think I got to look at whether we're taking you either out of the business of having direct contact with patients or terminating you entirely. I don't know if you guys have different views on that. And the challenge is, you know, you said if we take this to the mat and fight this, I mean, even the scope of how these inquiries could be requested from an employer, I mean, even a protection from abuse order, again, the magic language in our county, you know, without admission is still a final order that's being entered against a party. And at times I've seen some creative ways of dealing with that in some counties where they'll enter, parties will agree to extend a temporary for a period of time so that there's not a final, so to speak, order entered in the case. I mean, and possibly in some cases, both kind of get what they want. They get a period of time for protection without a final order being entered in certain ways. But again, just the problems that arise here. And then the other issue too, I mean, I think we talked about data that's available for third parties out there being able to search a database to find you know, all PFAs that are entered in a county. I know I can't do that. I can't, but, but the Pennsylvania Judicial Portal, all right, which is available to all of us, Pennsylvania Judicial Portal contains every arrest that took place. And as you guys have seen, obviously you can tell I'm, I'm a lot older than you. You know, there was a time when there were never arrests made. Today, I find that probably the cops, if they, if they feel as if something serious is going on here that isn't just a, you know, what I'm going to call a spat at home, a lot of times now they're arresting first. And in that setting anyway, the immediate terms of bail are no contact and no communication. But I'm saying to you, they're arresting and, and that's going to end up on the judicial portal even if it's disposed of, you know, in other words, it's dismissed. And Mark, just to go back a little bit to what you're saying relative to issues with employment, I want to comment on the idea of what you really pointed out is that we can't be myopic in dealing with the issue. Um, I think we are looking at it as it's a PFA, maybe there's a custody component to that. I think we're all relatively familiar with the concept that there was a, a real pushback on people trying to use PFAs as a way to deal with custody in a way. But we can't be stuck on the family law piece. We do have to look at it from a much more holistic perspective that it could have employment implications. The laws relative to mandatory reporting of abuse 
What about that conflict of interest when you are being accused of abuse and you also are a mandatory reporter, even if it's right. just because it's all right. I hadn't thought about it. So it, it, it gets a lot more complicated. And, and I think one of the concerns becomes, and I think our graves could certainly be viewed in this light, is that you don't want to see the pendulum swing towards people trying to take advantage of the PFA as the sword in being able to file something and pressure someone into an outcome that might not be appropriate. We saw it with the custody cases. And I wonder, reading this Hargraves case, whether you feel like we might see offensively used PFAs in other contexts. Obviously, as lawyers, we represent both the abusers and their victims, or the alleged abusers and their alleged victims, to be more precise. I have to remind the spouse of the physician that the loss of that job means the loss of that income, and it also means the loss of the opportunity to work in that market. So that if I am a neurosurgeon in State College, Pennsylvania, or a neurosurgeon at Hershey, I'm in a situation where basically if my spouse successfully secures a PFA order against me, there is a risk that I may be terminated and I'm not going to be able to turn to the Penn Medicine and move down to Lancaster General and go, well, I'll just move there. You know, my practice is here, my patient base is here. The financial implications for the filing spouse are quite enormous. See, the difficulty that we have as family lawyers is, is that it's difficult to tell our clients this is far more consequential. And the other thing, too, is in a custody proceeding, for example, you know, this subject is also possible to come up in a custody proceeding. At least in a custody proceeding, we know as lawyers that we're going to supposedly get a full opportunity to create a full record, a full trial, a full exploration of issues of whether or not there's domestic abuse. And that's usually set aside on its shortest terms for half a day. And we've all been involved in those cases that have gone on for days. Protection from abuse trials are a different form of animal because, as I said, most of them are clustered together. Judges put lots of pressure on counsel and the parties to resolve things and often become somewhat upset over the fact that someone's going to sit there and demand a trial. And I happen to think that if you have criminal trial counsel that you can call upon, that person is going to bring a different set of eyes, ears, and impressions on your client about the magnitude of the possible finding for that person on a long-term basis. In a custody case, we can lose the custody case and we could get that time back on behalf of the parent six months from now or a year from now. A PFA order, as we all know, it's tough to get one that isn't three years today. And that's major even before we get to the consequence of having possible criminal implications. Mark, I think just what we can take from this, from the Seagraves case, from the exposure that the alleged spouses on either side of these issues, the exposure that they face and the consequences. I mean, that that's really all we can do is identify the risks and guide our clients in having them, you know, make at times impossible decisions. Some of these decisions are really impossible to make at times, whether you're going to go forward with a, a PFA because otherwise, you know, you risk losing employment, but you're also creating a criminal. It's, it's just a challenge. The other thing, Anthony, you make a really good point, and let me just point this out. The other thing that's a real problem here is if I am the client and you represent uh, my spouse who is bringing an abuse case against me and I have Weems defending me in this case, both of you are awakened to the idea that if I am a prominent doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, whatever, that this could have long-term and permanent long-term implications for my earning capacity. 
Now, as two private counsel dealing with this in a non-PFA setting, you know that I am the golden goose. So we don't want to mess with my ability to earn money. Now, the difficulty in most counties that I've worked in where PFA is involved, this is assigned to a staff attorney. And many, even many prominent lawyers will send a PFA off to the staff attorney to prosecute. The difficulty is that person doesn't really understand the implications. They're prosecuting perhaps a half a dozen or a dozen cases in a day. They don't understand the possible inclinations for the fact that I am the golden goose. And that while that prosecuting attorney may lay me low in a civil trial over protection from abuse, she may also be destroying the economic welfare of the family. And when I say that, I, I do not mean to diminish in any way the harm caused by domestic abuse. We all know it's very real. But what we need here is a remedy that is not the evisceration of the household income. And that's a good point from the perspective that um, within the PFA, have whether you're dealing with the potentially the prosecutor's office, everyone does have different marching orders, and everyone does have different different right. agendas and concerns about what this particular proceeding means to them. Can you imagine being the Sheeran defendant, right? The criminal guy who defended the Sheeran contempt case. What what do you think the likelihood was? He goes, look, I got an annoying character here. He's sitting in a prison cell and writing stupid letters. Would you have thought, well, this could produce ten years in prison? Yeah, those of us that, that have dealt with indirect criminal contempts. You know, my recollection is that that they haven't necessarily been viewed as per incident, you know, or maybe more like consolidated into kind of an incident, whereas these were treated as individual acts of communication that maybe otherwise in a different context might have been grouped together. But obviously in trying to deal with someone that was considered a problem and had not gotten the message that this behavior was unacceptable, you know, that the court exercised its, its ability to impose this type of sentence. This seems like the extreme example. I think maybe the more run-of-the-mill example is going to be the, the text message, the post-entry order text message, probably things that are maybe a little bit more mundane but are nonetheless violations of the order. And, again, you now have a, you know, the ICC, you have a prosecutor involved. You know, you have criminal yeah, implications. And, 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 and again, you have somebody here. violations, and the prosecutor right, and, violations. And you have somebody here who is in a position where their job isn't, at the end of the day, using my example where I am the abuser or the alleged abuser, you two as lawyers in this situation, one of whom represents me, understand that the greater goal is to regulate my conduct, not vindicate my conduct for the sake of society. DAs, as we, as you may know, because you, well, I, Anthony, I think you may, perhaps you may have worked as one. You know, sometimes they bring prosecutions because they want to show the public that they're tough. And your ability to reason with the DA or for that matter, a, a person independently hired to prosecute PFAs, your ability to reason with them is circumscribed not only by their time, but in some situations, they're not really that interested in the victim's long-term goals. Their job is to vindicate society. And that means that a lot of times they're not paying a lot of attention to these, these particular issues, or they may have their own agenda. And that's a good thing to remember as family law attorneys is that you know, the, in the criminal context, the decider of whether criminal charges proceed or not, that's the district attorney's office. That's Correct. that's not the individual party's decision. Once that they decide that it's it's going to go down that route, it's going down that route. And also that's irrespective of whether or not the victim wants a criminal matter. Correct. And if you tried the PFA, the pheasant is already in the bag. They've already got a record of, and I'll be candid and 
because my client is now deceased, but the last PFA I tried, he admitted on the witness stand, all right, he admitted on the witness stand that he put his hands around her neck to stop her from striking him. But what does the transcript say? His hands are around her neck. And we all know that there were probably a dozen different ways, the least of which would have been retreating, that he could have stopped her from attacking him. As I said, I, I look at this and go, I think I'm a pretty cagey trial attorney, and I decided to try this case. And after I read Seagrave, I thought to myself, you're a fool. <laughs> One thing that's been running through my head for the last couple of minutes, where, where you said about the golden goose. Yeah, for that family, but you said that doctor, that lawyer, for that hospital, for that firm that produces that, you know, that's your number one producer and has all these paralegals, associates, nurses, support staff, all working on their patients and cases, that risk to that organization for that golden goose, that that's, that could be substantial. And if you notice these, these medical practices are in very intense competitions with each other today. You know, Highmark wants to be your physicians. Penn Medicine wants to be your physicians. You're looking at this today in terms of could this end up, when, you know, in, in the Patriot News or the Daily Local News or whatever else, could this end up in here? And, and here you are, you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to get people to, to come to your medical practice, whether it's mainline health or whatever it is. You, you're getting them to come. And now you have this issue to deal with. And even though this may be a highly talented and even an economically productive physician, the question from a business manager's standpoint is, can we afford this? Right. Well, Mark, we appreciate you joining us here today. This is, I mean, very thought provoking for all different types of contexts. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about it. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Mark, because I, I really think that uh, while we deal with the PFA so often, I do think that sometimes we view them very much in the and that microscope or that myopic view of what we're dealing with with that particular client in that particular moment. And in the Seagraves case, and in this discussion, I think just highlights how much broader we need to look at these things in a variety of different ways. It's easily one of the more difficult proceedings that we have to deal with that is probably far more loaded with consequences than they appreciate on a case-by-case -case basis. Thank you for your comments. All right, well, thank you everyone for listening. Keep following us on the Pennsylvania Bar Association Family Law section, Law in the Family podcast. Law in the Family is a production of the Pennsylvania Bar Association Family Law section. To learn more or to join the section, visit the Pennsylvania Bar Association website at pabar.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And to catch up on every episode, join us at anchor.fm slash law in the family. A reminder that nothing in this podcast should be taken as legal legal advice for any individual case or situation. This information is not intended to create an attorney-client relationship. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and the guests and don't necessarily represent those of the Pennsylvania Bar Association. Thanks for listening and tune in for future podcasts.